Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 270 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a special episode this week. It's kind of a weird time in the world of magic. Paper magic, really slow right now. Spoilers, not starting till the end of this week for Ikoria. So we're doing a special episode today. We have no Richard. Richard's sitting this one out, but we have a very special guest, legacy and vintage writer for mtgoldfish.com, Joe Dyer. Joe, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to be here. And, of course, to go along with uh, Joe, we do have content creator extraordinaire, Krim. How's it going today, Krim? No <laughs> no mice or anything eating through your internet this week? No, no. My internet works, uh, you know, <laughs> as much as my ISP will allow it to. So, <laughs> yeah, feels good. Uh, so, today's cast, as I mentioned, we're in a kind of weird time in the magic world where because of coronavirus, things have kind of like slowed to a crawl in the magic world outside of digital. There is a lot going on in digital. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming product schedule, a couple changes there, but we're going to spend the bulk of the podcast talking about formats that we really don't cover nearly as often as we should in Legacy and Vintage, which is Joe's kind of expertise. Krim is very much a noob in those formats. (laughs) He has some questions. I have some questions. So if you're interested in these formats, that's going to be our main topic. And then, of course, we'll answer some fish mail at the end of the cast. Before we jump into it, a quick reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever struggled to sell your magic cards with just all the time it takes, the effort, sorting, typing, shipping, they got you covered. They're the easiest way to sell magic cards. And if you're looking to avoid all those hassles of selling your cards, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can get a 10% discount by going to Card Conduit dot com slash goldfish so thank you to card conduit for supporting the show and with our sponsorship stuff out of the way let's first talk a little bit about what's going on in the magic world before we get to legacy and vintage so the big news this week is wizards decided to push back the release of ikoria mostly it's still releasing in digital spoiler season is still starting on thursday going ahead like normal but outside of asia pacific the set release itself is getting pushed back essentially a month i think it's may 14th now when it was supposed to be like april 17th was pre-release what do you guys think about this change was this a a good change a necessary change what impact is it going to have on paper magic any thoughts on the delay of icorian paper i think it was inevitable right like i mean we we kind of Kind of saw it coming, uh, just with everything going on right now. You really can't be throwing like these pre-releases with a huge gathering and whatnot. We just got at this point of the recording, we just got hit with another 30 days of, you know, quarantine. So like, yeah, like it's, we can we, we kind of talked about it last week and I, and, and we kind of just foresaw this, right? Like, I mean, it had to happen and cause they didn't want to launch Ikoria into like a, you know, two person pre-release, which are the two people are just the store owners. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a, a less than fun pre-release. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do, what do you think about this, Joey? Any thoughts on the delay of Ikoria? Yeah, I think it was pretty inevitable as well. Uh, it just seemed to be the thing that was going to happen. Uh, I was surprised they didn't announce it sooner, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I feel like kind of the issue is... I don't know if anyone could get Ikoria if they didn't release it, with just how locked down things are right now. Uh, a lot of the big vendors are unable to ship out cards right now. We saw, like, Channel Fireball and Card Kingdom. Uh, local game stores are closed. Even Amazon is mostly trying to ship essentials, and other shipments are delayed sometimes. 
So even if they went ahead with the release date, I don't even know if it would do anything. Like, technically, you could release it, but if no one can actually get the cards, what good is it? So it does feel inevitable, and, like, it was kind of the only choice to... uh to make. It's going to be interesting to see what the long-term impact of this is, as far as the sales of Ikoria. I don't know if you remember last year, we had uh, War of the Spark, and then we had Modern Horizons, and then we had Corset 2019, all within like, like a two few months, months span. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very close together, like each a month apart, and what ended up happening is, some of the sets were just less open than others. You can see a huge example of this on Magic Online, where we've had yeah. ridiculous prices of Corset 2019 rares, because people didn't play Corset 2019, they just played Modern Horizons for the most part. Nicole so it's going to be interesting... With this being delayed, are we going to see something similar where uh, we're having Corset 2020 coming up in the not-too-distant future? We have tons of other products. What do you think this does for the amount of Ikoria that'll be open? Do you think this is going to have a big impact on the supply of the cards? Uh, you know, I, I I think it will, just because, yeah, like you had mentioned with uh, M19, right? I mean, we, we like, Nico Bolas, the Ravager, I ended up, I had to look for him on paper, and I think he's now like 30 bucks. Uh, it's... I expect a little bit of that with Ikoria, because, I mean, by the time Ikoria comes out, we have, like, yeah, like you had mentioned, a month and a half, I think, until Core 2021 comes out, right? Yeah, I think I, I, I think I said the wrong Core set. It was actually Core Set 2020 that released last year, and it's 2021 this year. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think the release date right now is July 3rd, yeah. which would mean pre-release would be the end of June, and, like, full set would be the middle of June, so... We're getting to the point where it's going to be like a month, essentially, uh, even less, and we'll be in full-on spoiler season and getting close to the release, of course, at 2021. I uh, I think they may just have to, like, axe, because we are not even sure that pre-releases are going to even be able to happen by then. I'm, I'm To be completely honest, we don't know, right? Yeah. So, so because of that, there is a chance where, like, there, like... There's a part of me that thinks they're, that they might have to release both Core 2021 and Ikoria in a, in a weird way, like within a week apart or something like that. Or, cause there's going to be some crazy bottlenecking because I, we don't even know if we're going to be able to like do any of that for quite some time. I mean, this, this 30 day thing is like very optimistic, right? Like I, I I'm talking like, I think we need to wait like three more months, like at, like at the, like at best. At best. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. What do you yeah. think about all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree there. Like, it's going to be awkward for them to release sets like that. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a weird time to be doing it. And it's, furthermore, it's going to mess with the pricing on Magic Online, too, because, you know, standard pricing on there is already really weird, uh, thanks to, you know, people not drafting that much because of Arena. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it's going to uh, definitely affect prices of stuff, but definitely paper cards for sure. I would expect things from Ikoria to be more expensive. I, the nice thing, though, it. or I mean, like, yeah, like, as, as you were, Joe. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> the, the, the thing here is it will mess with paper, but the good news is that we'll have it probably, they could, we'll have it all digitally, right? So we'll, yeah. when paper comes out, right, because, like, Arena will probably have it, like, all that stuff will be out. Uh, by the time it comes out on paper, I guess we know what's good to get, right? Like, there's no need to spec, I get like, spec into it, because we've already now seen months and months of gameplay of standard or whatever, right? So we know what's hot, what's not. And, I mean, th that's, that's the brighter side of this for those that want to get paper magic. But, like, yeah, like, at least digitally we'll, 
be okay. Yeah, it doesn't really have any impact digitally. What I would wonder, as far as paper, though, is like you said, we'll already know what's good. Does that mean people will just not buy boxes, though? Yeah. Like, I think there's a big temptation uh, with standard already being so developed by the time the set actually releases in paper that rather than being like, oh, I'm really hyped, I want to, like, open these new cards, and you pick up a box, you might just be like, oh, the you know, I need these few rares and mythics that are doing well, I'll just pick those up instead. So maybe long run, this is going to be a pretty under-open set, and that's not even, we haven't even considered, like, people losing their jobs and all the economic stuff that could also keep people from buying cards right now. Uh, so I think that long-term, we could end up, assuming everything recovers and gets back to where we were, you know, a year ago or a few months ago, it could be that long-term Ikori is going to end up being really expensive because I bet that there will not be nearly as many booster box open uh, compared to, like, War of the Spark, the set that released last year at this time, or Dominaria, which was another set that was massively opened when it was released. So I bet it's going to be a lot lower supply yeah. uh, than other similar spring sets. And For sure. uh, last, last question on this, do you think there's any chance we get, like, a ripple effect? Like... Course at 2020, as I said, it's supposed to release July 3rd, or 2021. I keep saying the years wrong. Teferi July set. 3rd. Just call it the Teferi set. That's all I Maybe they just cancel that altogether. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's not say things we can't take back. Let's not say things we can't take back. <laughs> but, but no, do you think there's any chance we see a ripple effect with other sets being pushed back as well to accommodate for Ikoria being pushed back, which, who knows, like, they're saying May 15th, like, fingers crossed that that actually even <laughs> is the date when this all works out, but do you think there's any chance that Corset gets pushed back, and then Rotation this fall gets pushed back, or or do you think they're just gonna have to power through at some point, in part because, like you said, digital is still happening at the normal pace? Yeah, because of esports and, and everything happening at the digital, like, you know, pace, Rotation's gonna stay the same. It has to, right? Uh, but, but paper, paper is going to be out of sync and, and I, dude, it's going to be, it's definitely going to have a ripple effect when it comes to paper, but luckily competitive wise, I mean, competitively you'll have digital, so no there, but definitely price wise. Like I think this will be, this set could potentially be pricier than like how Fate Reforged and Dragon's Maze like was pricey. Like the, those were already like the mythics from those sets, like Voice of Resurgence, Monastery Mentor, they are like. They were ridiculously high, and I imagine the mythics from this set, especially depending on how good they are, are going to be even pricier if this set is going to be even – because this is what – it's going to be way less open than those two sets, right? I mean, because by the time – yeah, like, yeah, Core 2021 will already be, like, right – like, spoiler season will already be starting pretty much by the time we get Paper Ikoria. And, like, All yeah <laughs> – Although I don't know how many people are going to want to open boxes of Teferi dot set. That I uh, don't know what I for the rest of this for the rest of this podcast about the tone deafness of being like, oh, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, oh, Teferi Time Raveler, endless complaints, and be like, hey, guess what, guys? <laughs> We're making Teferi set for the next core set, so uh, it'll be interesting. Like, hopefully, I hopefully, don't think it's tone. Maybe there's some bad Teferis, <laughs> power down Teferis, but oh my goodness, uncommon. Into fairy <laughs> uh, <with> another speaking, <laughs> passive. Speaking of Teferi, I think this actually offers a pretty good segue into the bulk of our podcast about legacy and vintage. So, Joe, you're the expert. You write this week in legacy. You write uh, our vintage series. So you're like very entrenched in the eternal scene of magic uh, in digital and in paper as well. Uh, so. 
what do you think about those cards? You know, Teferi's a, a very hated card. I know one of the big conversations this year has been the power level of cards, uh, with War of the Spark Planeswalkers, with Okos, and Once Upon a Times, in various formats, feeling like some of the most powerful cards in recent history of Magic have been printed in the last year. Has Vintage and Legacy experience that same upheaval or are those formats so powerful that it's just like eh Teferi whatever eh Oka whatever and just kind of like shrudges them off and keeps doing whatever they have been doing uh if you are not playing 2019 to 2020 cards in Legacy and Vintage right now you are doing it wrong <laughs> unfortunately uh so Oko especially uh is uh very very much at uh a big format uh part of the format uh, especially especially in legacy uh since ren and six was banned uh and then oko came around uh oko has been a big part of the format and continues to be a big part of the format uh the only time that we really didn't see much of oko was that brief month <laughs> that uh underworld breach was legal in the format <laughs> and that was because the clearly the best thing to be doing in the format at the time was underworld breach uh However, now we also have Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, and that goes with Oko really well in every shell it exists in. So, uh, yeah, the 2019 to 2020 cards uh, have definitely uh, reshaped uh, all of these formats, honestly. Uh, Legacy especially has seen a lot of upheaval because of these cards. So... What does the Legacy community think about that? I know, like, in Standard... You're kind of waiting for a shakeup. New powerful cards that push out the old decks, make new decks. That's what you kind of want to see. On the other hand, like in modern, I know people, they kind of want to buy a deck because they're expensive and be able to play it for a long time. So too much change can be seen as a, a negative, really. What does the legacy and vintage community think? Do they like seeing so many new cards rise to the top of their formats? Or is it like, eh, like I, I wish, you know, these cards weren't quite as good as they are? Uh, it, there's two camps to that. Uh, there's some people that are, will be like, you know, I wish they would print cards that are for legacy and vintage, you know. But then when they do print them, they're like, not like this. Not like this. I don't. I didn't. I didn't ask for that. You know. I, I wanted something for Legacy and Vintage. And Wizard says, well, "Here you go." And they go, "Well, I don't want that." And then there's you know some people that are you know have kind of accepted it and kind of you know fallen into a rhythm with these cards. But uh, a lot of the people I talk to are really just upset about uh, like cards like Oko, especially uh, existing. Uh, Veil of Summer is another card that I see a lot of. <laughs> Uh, a lot of hatred uh, pushed towards. I, I, I uh, agree with that hatred for ha- Veil of Summer. <laughs> it, it's it's definitely made decks that play cards like Thoughtseize uh, and uh, cards like Him to Turok, even though Him to Turok hasn't been great in like more years than Veil of Summer's existed. Uh, but Thoughtseize especially, Thoughtseize decks have hit, been hit really hard. The end uh, of like a f- getting like your force, like the end of a con- like a counter chain, just getting veiled is like hilariously like sad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 better than Flusterstorm currently. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. It's scary how bad that is, how how that is, but yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's even like helped certain decks. Uh, like there are certain combo decks now that use it uh, as ways to protect their combo, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, like uh, the Epic Storm. Uh, one of the storm-based decks uh, uses it to protect its combo uh, because it's, it's just so it, 
just plays four main deck Vela Summer, and there you go. <laughs> so, uh, as far as the vintage side of things, uh, vintage saw a lot more weird shakeup with 2019 to 2020, uh, and that was primarily because of War of the Spark more than any other set, uh, other than uh, Modern Horizons introducing some much needed cards for that format. Uh, War of the Spark brought us both Karn and uh, Narset. And both of those and, cards were really, really, really strong and vintage. And they both ended up being restricted, right? Yes, yes. Uh, along oh, with our sets um, restricted, or yeah, Karn? Karn, both of them are. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what happened was, is uh, they printed War of the Spark, and then they printed Modern Horizons, and uh, War of the Spark brought us Karn, and Karn brought us these uh, combo decks that basically sought to power out Karn and then power out uh, the Time Vault uh, Voltaic Key combo. Uh, uh, and then, uh, so what the is workshop the sticks. So basically, <laughs> yeah. So you Time Vault is, you know, you tap it to take an extra turn, uh, uh, but it doesn't untap during your untap step. You can choose to skip oh, your turn, use okay. Voltaic Key to just repeatedly untap your Time Vault and keep yep. taking extra turns. Uh, but though, because of, because time vaults restricted, uh, with Karn, you just need to put it in your sideboard and Karn can go get it from your sideboard. Uh, yeah. It's your helps, additional copies. Okay. Basically. Yeah. So it turns a restricted card into four addition, four copies. It shuts off the opposing deck. one though. Right. So that's, yes. Kinda, kinda yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what actually ended up happening is, uh, it's weird. Uh, you would think these decks would be super dominant in the format that this would have been the best deck in the format well when they printed modern horizons they printed a card called force of vigor and they also printed a card called collector oof uh which were really really good against these workshop decks well it's time to find out that the only deck you could play that would be good enough to keep up with the workshop decks as well as everything else in the format was bug midrange and so the format just became completely dominated by these bug decks to the point where, like, you had challenge events that were literally seven out of eight of the top eights were bug. <laughs> and is this is this how we got the uh, iconic, like, the most, the best way to capture 2019 magic with, like, a Black Lotus getting elked and then swinging in for lethal? That was even after all that restriction. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> even better. <laughs> so they so they ended up, uh, before Eternal Weekend last year, they ended up restricting, they restricted Karn, uh, they restricted Mystic Forge. Uh, which only lasted about a month or so, uh, because that card's absurd. Pizza oven? Yeah, that card's dumb. <laughs> uh, they also restricted uh, some stuff for uh, Dredge. They restricted uh, Golgari Grave Troll, uh, and they also restricted Mental Misstep finally, which was so, fan- I thought fantastic. that was always banned. <laughs> I didn't even know that was banned. <laughs> oh, yeah, until last year, Vintage was a format where you could play a four Mental Misstep, and uh, it was atrocious because of it, honestly. Uh, so... We've been talking about uh, a lot of these powerful artifacts, Mystic Forge, Karns, uh, Time Vaults. I I don't know how much of our audience is like big Vintage and Legacy fans. So I would say if you want a really in-depth breakdown of Vintage and Legacy, you should definitely check out Joe's articles. They are excellent. They go up every Tuesday and Thursday, one for Legacy, one for Vintage. But what makes these artifact decks in Vintage in specific so powerful? Like what like what is what is the engine that has made these decks so good? Uh so uh honestly, it's basically the prevalence of fast mana in the format. Uh, you know, you have, you know, you have power, the power nine, you have, you know, Black Lotus, you have five Moxon, 
Uh, a lot of the decks uh, have additional uh, restricted artifact mana, like Mana Crypt, Soul Ring, <laughs> Mana Vault, all those cards. Uh, but also, um, you know, Mistress Workshop is also a thing. Uh, you know, that is a, is a card you can play four of in this format. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think about that? Where do you where do you come down on on workshop? I know that's been a conversation that's happened uh, for a long time now about whether that should be restricted. And Wizards doesn't really seem to like the idea of restricting it. Maybe because it is ridiculously expensive, and, uh, and players would be very upset if all of a sudden uh, their workshops got restricted. Do you think it, on power level, is that a card that's healthy for a format like Vintage? If you're not familiar, Mishra's Workshop is just a land that taps for th- three mana, three mana, but you can only use it to uh, cast artifact spells. Oh, that's yeah. balanced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if... It's not legendary? It's ha- wow. No, it's not legendary, no. No. Uh, I actually am uh, self-admittedly a shops player from time to time, uh, so I actually don't mind Mistress Workshop. Uh, I think a lot of it also hinges down to the fact that there's a lot of different things to be doing in the format, and I like having some sort of alternative uh, style of play uh, that isn't just uh, Blue Soup. Uh, as much as I like playing a lot of those Blue Soup decks, uh, I also What is like a having- Blue Soup? Uh, just a, a deck that is uh, blue slash red slash other color or blue slash black slash other color. You know, uh, any of these uh, Jeskai uh, or uh, bug decks okay. or whatnot that exist that are more fair uh, control deck tile type, de- type of decks. I think uh, I'm looking right now at the, the list of the most played cards, and I think this is true of Legacy and Vintage, but just to give a quick bit of context, like in Vintage right now, 72% of decks play Force of Will. And if you know yeah. Force of Will, you gotta <laughs> yeah. have enough blue cards to be able to cast it. And in Legacy, you're right around 50% for the package of Brainstorm, Force of Will, Ponder, just under 50%. So there are, uh, I, I'm assuming this is kind of what you're referring to by the Blue Soup, the, the decks that are playing these type of packages and then like kind of dirtling around a bit. Yeah, uh, they're a lot less dirtily than they used to be though. Uh, we've Ooh. gotten a lot more power creep uh, is, in the format. Is this what I've been hearing about? Like how, like, cause like I love Monastery Mentor. I heard at a point that was like a really good deck, right? Uh, yes, yes. Before they restricted Monastery Mentor, that oh, was that got restricted. Basically, basically the deck to play. Yes, yeah. It is one of the few creatures on the restricted list. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that, that makes sense though, because it seems like a lot of things in vintage. I mean, I I just I was today years old when I found out Mental Misstep was not banned <laughs> until like a like a couple months ago. Like, wow, free spells plus Monastery Mentor. Like spells yeah. pretty much don't cost mana in vintage, right? <laughs> So, yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. So, we've mentioned restricted a couple times. Uh, what do you think... Well, what is a card being restricted, just in case people don't know that? And what do you think about having restrictions compared to having a ban list like every other format? So, Vintage actually has both a banned and restricted list. However, cards in Vintage are not banned for power level reasons. Uh, they're banned for structural reasons, totally. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, they're banned for reasons like anti-cards, uh, like conspiracies, uh, anything that has to do with like dexterity. Uh, so like Chaos Orb, Falling Star, those kinds of cards. <laughs> um, oh, that's a bummer. And also, yeah, also any card that has to deal with sub-games like uh, Shahrazad is, is banned. <laughs> uh, so anything else in the format is restricted. 
which means that uh, you can only play one copy of it in your deck. Uh, now, I've actually written about this a couple times. Uh, as as far as I wrote an article about uh, whether or not wizards in the future would need to leverage actually banning a card in vintage for power level reasons, uh, because of the possibility of them printing something that would cause a restricted card to be so good, uh, or cause a card that would be so so good that restricting it would be impossible. Uh, and I think that could happen at some point. I don't think we're there yet, although some people seem to think that we've crossed that threshold with a little, slightly with Bolas's Citadel uh, being in the format. Because uh, if, if you restrict that card, it does nothing. Most of the decks only play one. Right, uh, so being restricted is actually not even relevant to Bolas's Citadel because you're only going to play one copy anyway. And I assume, are you like tinkering that out? Like yeah. you're not just tapping six mana and, and casting your bullets to Citadel. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I, would guess. I mean, if you have dark ritual and mistress workshop, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I forgot you could do things like that. <laughs> I think I dark ritualed once and I put like a, a, a some three drop zombie and I was like, wow, this is insane. <laughs> but like in vintage, that's like, that's like small ball in it. But yeah. Mo- mostly, mostly you're looking at tanker is how you're getting that into play. And uh, so, I mean, if you were to print, say they were to print some sort of artifact that said, you know, you win the game if you have this special condition or whatever that's not hard to get, you can play four of them in your deck, uh, but if you restrict it, you're not really, you know, stopping that at all. You know, it's just, you're just making it so they have to play one copy, and that may not be good enough. Well, you know, in EDH, you have tons of recursion and ways to get cards, right? And like, so I oh, yeah. assume in like vintage, right? You that's probably even easier, right? Oh yeah. Plus, you get multiple copies of things like Force of Will. Yeah. And, you know, ways to stop your opponent from stopping you. Yeah. Uh, you know that sort of thing. Uh, plus, all these the all the restricted cards that are blue <laughs> are all really powerful restricted cards for a reason. Uh, you know, this is a format where Dig Through Time and, and Treasure Cruise are both restricted. Uh, you know, Ancestral Recall, uh, Ponder is restricted, Brainstorm is restricted. Uh, these are all really, really, really strong cards in a format that has leveraged access to so much fast mana. Well, uh, okay. Let, let, me, let me ask this as the, the noob vintage slash noob legacy person. Um, so, in, in, in modern, I often laugh hysterically while also simultaneously crying when I lose to a turn to like, you know, a, a Neo brand deck. Right. So like, that's to me, that's insane that you can lose on turn two, but like, is that common? Like, you know, for no. like, in other formats, like, I mean, I, I know that I heard that a lot can happen in one turn, so it might like be like actually two turns, but it, it's like 10 games worth of gameplay from interaction and back and forth. Yeah, I mean that's that's accurate actually. Uh there's a lot there's a lot of things that can happen in a turn and it can be, you know, pretty easy to to go off the rails and actually end up with a, with a good board position and being ahead of your opponent on cards uh okay. in a single turn uh because there's so much leveraged, you know, things like fast mana, but the variance of that is what is makes it really high. Uh, to do that kind of stuff uh, because of everything being restricted. Uh, when you draw your restricted cards, everything's great, you're happy, blah, 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 but you don't always draw all your restricted cards or you know, all, or some of your restricted cards. You, know, you may end up with hands that have no restricted cards in them. You know, so 
Uh, it's just dependent on what you're playing, uh, and especially if you look at um, the control deck um, mirror matches. Uh, those those matches are some of the most uh, longest games of Magic that you could ever possibly play. Really? Uh, because oh yeah, because it, they're all about resource trading, uh, and they're all about uh, outplaying your opponent. Right, uh, right, and making sure that you have enough resources to you know win the game and stick stick a threat and win the game. Are, are well, and, see, because like I, I, would you say it is as slow as like let's just say like Return to Ravnica, blue white versus blue white, where oh god, because like yeah, that, that it can be. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it oh, can be. Yeah, all right, all right, all yeah. right. So that's not too bad. That's not too bad. You I know. Bet. I bet You're, Grim would actually really love playing, like, I don't know, Xerox or, like, so, some control deck in Vintage. Grim would probably... That sounds like your kind of deck, actually. I bet you would... <laughs> I bet you would actually very much enjoy playing it. I Just because Xerox would probably be Mentor, up your alley. But I guess that's restricted. Yeah. Is that the Xerox well, deck? I don't know if you know yeah. what a Xerox deck is, so... Just because Xerox would be the deck you would be thinking about, because that's the deck that plays Mentor. What about uh, Esper? How do we make it Esper? <laughs> uh, if you're an Esper, you're probably playing something like Paradox Glaucon. That doesn't sound uh, mentor-centered. <laughs> uh, no, no. Actually, uh, the primary kill condition of PO now is actually just Monastery Mentor. Oh, per- then that's where I need to be. Yeah. That's where uh, I need to be. Because that, that, that deck, basically... So people that don't know what Paradox Glaucon is, it's a four-mana instant... Uh, where you return any number of uh, non-land permanents, uh, target non-land permanents to your hand, uh, and then you draw a card for each one that you return to your hand. Uh, so basically, you're leveraging all of the artifact mana uh, mm. and returning like Moxon and all that stuff to your hand. Yep, and that triggers mana. And, and then you're drawing a bunch of cards off of that, and then you're playing out, replaying out that mana. And then you're able to, you know, kind of get into a point where you can set up like a mentor with like a time walk. And then you can just like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's so crazy. (laughs) We kind of hit on vintage a little bit there, but what do you think about legacy, Joe? So uh, I know one of the common, I would say, in my experience, and legacy is one of my favorite formats. I don't get to play it nearly as much as I wish I did, but boy, I love Legacy. Uh, But my perception of Legacy is it's actually significantly more fair than formats like Modern, and you're more likely to play a real game that goes on for like 10 turns or 15 turns. But I know the common perception, especially from people who have never played Legacy, is, oh, you just die on turn two. Why would I ever want to pick up that format? Like, it's just, you try to combo. But I feel like Modern is actually the format that's like that. But people think Legacy is like that, when actually, in my experience, it's not. But what is? what do you think about that? uh, that argument about Legacy? Uh, it's, it's most definitely not like that. Uh, legacy is very fair. Uh, there are a lot of dumb, broken things to do in legacy, but for the most part, like it, it's gatekept by, uh, the presence of things like Force of Will. Uh, like Force of Will brainstorm decks make up a large majority of the format. Uh, and so do, uh, like a lot of fair non-blue decks. Uh, so like you have a lot of options, uh, to play, you know, actual games of magic with the format. Even with um, Wasteland? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, see, so the thing about Wasteland is that... I hate that card. Uh, <laughs> Wasteland, Wasteland is playable, but it's not, like, fantastic right now, and that's because of the presence of cards like Arkham's Astrolabe. Yeah. Uh, has allowed decks to kind of be able to play around Wasteland a little bit. 
but as a deck that's like kind of can be soft wasteland you you just kind of accept that it exists (laughs) Uh, okay okay like you just kind of ha- you just kind of have to be like okay yeah like you have to make a smart play and be like okay look if i wait if i get wastelanded here you know it's bad i have to think a couple turns ahead on how that impacts my my game right you know and so uh you know wasteland's a card you know and i i like that wasteland's a card honestly uh because uh it helps keep a lot of like the greedier uh decks in check uh and of course what we've seen is it's not so much that people are playing Arkham's Astrolabe with like four color check pile, like everybody's playing the best colors in the format. They're really just splashing the most impactful cards uh, in the colors that they want to be in. So if you look at like Miracles, which is a deck that. Ooh, you know, I like that deck. That deck was fun. Used, when I played to, it. used to be more hinged on, you know, top of the library manipulation and uh, when it used to use cards like Sensei's Divining Top before that got banned. Uh, cards like predict uh, that sort of thing Uh, it's more of kind of like a mid-range control deck now uh, because now you have you still have access to all these cards but now you have astrolabe and you can splash into green for like veil of summer you can splash into green for oko Uh, there are some versions playing a couple a copy or two of uro titan of nature's wrath because that card's insane Uh, they're also splashing red out of the sideboard for things like pyroblast which is really important uh so you know they're just they're just meteor kind of mid-rangey decks uh now uh but they're they've never been soft to wasteland because they've always played basic lands a lot of basic lands in those decks uh but they're even softer to wasteland now with arkham's astrolabe or even sorry harder to wasteland sorry i should say uh so wasteland's not as effective against them anymore Okay. Uh, and so Wasteland's kind of dipping down. Uh, but the meta is really weird right now. So it's it's kind of like wide open, honestly. Like there's a lot well, of stuff going on right now. That's actually perfect because that's my next question. A little like with Legacy and whatnot. Like the thing for me and like a lot of people that I know that haven't played Legacy or Vintage, like we all kind of just see the top decks, what's popular, right? And it kind of just all looks the same. So there's like this, this thing that where everybody thinks that legacy is just, there, there are no new decks. There's nothing invent, like, you know, innovative happening, nothing crazy happening. It's just the same Delver deck versus the other Delver deck versus the other Delver deck, right? <laughs> uh, but is, is that true? I mean, I, I think it's less true now. Uh, I think if I would have gone, if you would go back, you know, a, a couple years ago, especially during Deathrite Shaman era. Uh, that was obviously very true. Like uh, Deathrite, every- Leovald, right? Like yeah, everybody yeah, was Saltai like, Delver, but, pretty much. Ev- well, no, everybody was Grixis Delver. Oh, Grixis, you said. Yeah, yeah, good <laughs> because because you had access to Gitaxian Probe and you had access to Deathrite Shaman, and those cards were really good for Grixis. Uh, so like at that time, yeah, Legacy has been like that on on occasion. I think it's less so now. Um, and that's the only I thing I can say that has been good about. Uh, the 2019-2020 era of, of like uh, stuff because is that it has that enforced people to, to affect yeah legacy yeah and vintage. Uh, case in point, uh, my one of my friends uh is a well-renowned legacy player uh by the name of Callum Smith. Uh, goes by White Faces on uh Twitter uh and also on Magic Online. Uh, he developed a deck 
recently uh, that it uses uh, that new uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove Ooh. Uh, card. And uh, basically, it's a, uh, a Chalice Ancient Tomb deck, Chalice of the Void Ancient Tomb deck. Uh, but it's like mono green stompy in a sense, but it uses Dryad and it also casts Primeval Titan. Uh, and, and, uh, this deck is doing well, uh, actually. Like he created this deck and he put it out there and, uh, within a week it had like top eight at a challenge. So is it like uh, a yeah, super I, amulet deck then? Is that what it is? Like, actually, it, it, I, play or? <laughs> I'm looking at the deck list. I actually, it's funny you bring this up because this was a deck list I was looking at and I saw. I was like, huh, this looks yeah. like a modern deck I've been playing. This does not, lo- this does not look like a legacy deck because it's just like tireless trackers and primeval titans and scavenger mm-hmm. uses. Like, yep. it is about as fair as a deck can look. I mean, obviously, like, you got primeval titan that can get valicates and stuff, but it looks like a really fair deck, uh, to me. Yeah. Well, the, what makes it work is the fact that you get, uh, acceleration in the form of Mox Diamond, but you also get, um, a, uh, Chalice of the Void. Uh, and so Chalice of the Void is one of the bigger pieces of the format, uh, in regards to how you fight on the axis against blue decks, uh, or you, how do you fight on the axis against combo decks. Uh, by using chalice to cut them off of being able to cast spells, like and yeah, one drops. I'm assuming is is like the yeah. what, what you're looking to put it on. Yeah, usually one is usually your most accurate uh, place to put your uh, thing, your I th- uh, chalice. I think as a a modern player, the thing that you might not realize about chalice in older formats is a huge chunk of those decks are built around cheap cantrips, brainstorms, ponders, preordains. So Chalice on one is actually so insane against a a decent portion of the field because a lot of legacy decks and vintage decks, they run very light on lands compared to if you would see the same cards uh, in a modern format, let's say, you see like four or five less lands a lot of times compared to a modern deck that's built very similarly. Like, I'm looking at the the four-color Oko snow deck that's casting, like, Uros and Jaces and uh, Terminuses and stuff. Like, that deck's only running 20 lands, which is super low, but that's because you get Brainstorms and Ponders, and you're able to hit your land drops. They're playing, what, four Arcan... Are they playing Astrolabe? They do have four Astrolabes as well, So four four Astrolabe, four Brainstorm? Uh, Yeah, and four Ponders is the list I'm looking at, at least, yeah. Brainstorm? 20, 20. Are, are like just like a sub game within legacy right like pretty much sort of so 20 lands is actually a little high for that they could actually but they're they're doing it because they have uro uh-huh. uh so, so um like uh you could actually go down to eight, like 18 there uh so the the common uh theory there is that uh and this is what we refer to as the xerox theory and something that uh alan comer uh came up with back in the day uh, is that for every four Wanda CMC2 uh, uh, cantrip effects, uh, you can shave two lands from your deck. Uh, and so that's kind of where that comes from. Uh, so, like, you'll see these Delver decks, they'll be playing, like, four Brainstorm, four Ponder, you know, two Preordain or whatever, uh, and they'll be on, like, 18 lands. Like, it- and they'll be... And some of those are probably wastelands too that they're yes. looking to sacrifice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's 18 lands and you figure for a wasteland, that's generally 14 lands at that point. But, uh, the cantrips help find you land. Uh, and that's kind of, and they're operating on such thin margins already, uh, because a lot of their stuff costs one to two. 
Uh, but if you look at like Rug Delver, which is uh, the um, current uh, reigning Delver champ, uh, they're able to cast three CMC spells because they're casting Oko. Uh, so <laughs> it's crazy to think, uh, especially like now uh, that Delver decks are actually getting the three mana to cast these cards, but they are. <laughs> Uh, and it's because, uh, also because of the card Dreadhorde Arcanist, also, uh, has worked its way into that archetype. So, it's interesting, uh, to see how the format has adjusted to this, this 2019 to 2020, but there's some cards that are scary, for sure. I didn't even think so, that. that's so good. Dreadhorde Arcanist? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, it's In insane. In a format full of, like, one drops? And, like... Oh yeah, it's for, insane. Like, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. It snowballs really quickly. That's so, so good. So I think... Yeah. One important thing to point out about Legacy and Vintage, this is another thing uh, that comes up a lot from new players, and it's very true, especially in paper, is the decks are ridiculously expensive. If you look at Legacy, decks are three, four, five thousand. You can find budget decks or cheaper decks, but that's kind of like the normal price range. Vintage, you're looking at tens of thousands for a lot of decks <laughs> that are playing the original Power Nine and Black Lotuses and Moxen. However, these decks are actually pretty inexpensive on Magic Online, like comparable to modern or even Pioneer decks. So uh, right now, lots of people are stuck at home. People are playing Magic Online. What would you say to someone who is playing Magic Online, because they can't really play in paper right now, has never really checked out Vintage or Legacy, uh, and and thinks maybe they might be interested? What advice, uh, or what would you say to them? Uh, I would say that uh, you should definitely try it out, first of all. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Magic Online is a great way to get into the format. Uh, it's also a great way to learn the format uh, because you're going to be able to find games, especially Legacy. Uh, right now, there are a lot more people playing Legacy because of being stuck at home. Uh, so you're going to be able to find people to play with uh, and you're going to be able to find people to learn the format from. Uh, and that really helps a lot to kind of like, you know, learn the format and where things are. Uh, I use a rental service. I know a lot of other people do too. Uh, those are great. Uh, especially if you're going to use magic online, if you're going to play a lot, uh, it can help you kind of figure out what you might like to play in the format. You know, if you have a, uh, enough of a rental service to rent most of the decks in the format, you know, even for a while, you know, spending $30, $40 a month just to say, figure out this is what I would like to play, makes sense to me. Uh, you know, so uh, there's a lot, because there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to do in every uh, both formats. Uh, and, you know, just trying to figure out what you want to do is the biggest part of it. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of rental programs as well for stuff like that, especially if you're new and just starting out and trying to figure out what deck you want to play, because you can play... <clears throat> as many decks as you want for one price, essentially, once you're signed up to a rental program, which is super awesome. The other thing I would say, my experience with the Eternal community, both Legacy and Vintage, is even though you see these expensive decks and you have a lot of players who have been playing Magic for a long, long time, I actually think it's one of the most welcoming parts of the Magic community. These are people who... It really uh, is. Even... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It, people, they want their format to grow, and they know that there's this bar- barrier to entry that people face that keeps people from getting to the format sometime. So I have felt that the legacy and vintage people that I know 
go out of their way <laughs> almost to try to welcome new players and help new players into the format more so than other formats I have played. Is that like a has that been your experience, Joe, as well? Absolutely. the The legacy community is amazing. Uh, they all just want to see the format do the, what it does uh, and be good, uh, and they want people to play and enjoy the format. Uh, vintage more so. Uh, vintage players are ridiculously generous with their time, with ridiculously generous with being able to help people get into the format. Uh, I've been lent cards uh, before for paper events, uh, just on the basis of. You know, I know you, I'm going to lend you this card, you know, blah, 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 uh, but just so that you can play. Uh, and same thing with the Legacy. Uh, there have been people in my area, you know, there's a guy in my area who uh, lends decks, whole decks out to people if they want to come play Legacy. Yeah, uh, that... Just so, yeah, yeah. That that was my experience. It's great. I, I'd only played one Legacy event uh, at a local, like, uh, like, I think it's like a 5K or something like that. And somebody that I, like, didn't even know, I don't think I've ever met them before in my life, they were just like, here, did you want to, it's like, but you have duels in this, you don't even know me, right? Like, all that other yeah. stuff. And it's just like, uh, there. but, like, I guess the thing is, for a lot of them, it's just like, oh, these are cards I've had forever, so they, they yeah. were the price, they're, like, the price to me that I got them at, pretty much, right? Because I'm not, yeah. but they're not selling them, but, I mean, like, that's just how they feel about it. And, like, the, like, I played this 5K, and, like, all my opponents were super nice and super informative because I'm like, hey, this is my first legacy tournament. They're like, oh, like they weren't even secretive about what they were doing. Like, oh yeah, this is a, I'm playing a storm deck. So like, I'm going to try to do this, this, and this. And like, yeah. it was just so welcoming and it was great for a new player. Uh, and <laughs> so I, I, if you can find somebody that has the, the cards and all that, I, I think it's actually a great community. Yeah. I um, actually had a, a friend of mine now, uh, but I I didn't know the guy at all before I met him uh, at um, Star Cities, the Power Nine, not last year, but the year before uh, their Power Nine challenge. Uh, I borrowed Bizarre Baghdads from him uh, on site. Uh, had only been talking to him through Reddit. Uh, he's one of the uh, guys that works with a group of vintage legacy players called the Lone Star Lurkoifs out of Texas. Uh, and uh, talked to him on reddit because i had i had a borrow hookup that fell through uh for that and he was like i will get you covered he goes mine are not being used for this event so uh we'll just meet on site and sure enough uh we got on site met him up with him and he handed me four bizarre baghdad to play with that day <laughs> and it was wild <laughs> to put that in context bizarre baghdad i mean it has been as high as like two thousand dollars right now it's like 1200 so a place out of those yeah. is kind of like a almost stranger trusting you with what five thousand eight thousand dollars and just be like hey yeah have fun with it so uh, yeah it's it's super amazing that people are like that it's uh, such an awesome community which i think is one of the big reasons that i would encourage people to check it out too i think obviously if you're gonna check it out check it out on magic online it's hard for me to recommend yeah. like hey go out and buy power dine and give vintage <laughs> go a buy shot. duels like, yeah. casually and yes. then find out you don't like the deck <laughs> but it's cheap yeah. on magic online the community's great Events, you were telling me before, Cast, uh, Joe, are actually growing a lot right now and seeing way more players than they were in the past. Yeah, so we had uh, our first week of Super Qualifiers last week for uh, Players Tour qualification, and one of those events was Legacy, uh, the last event, actually, which was the Thursday morning event. 
and there was close to uh, what I kept hearing was close to almost 260 players uh, for this event, uh, which is amazing, uh, honestly, because usually these events only get like around like a hundred something players for Legacy. Uh, now there's some attributing to factors to there. Uh, a, you know, everybody's stuck indoors, uh, you know, wanting to play on Magic Online. Uh, but also, B, they open these events up a little bit more, uh, it felt like, uh, because typically a lot of these, like, PTQ-style events uh, generally only require qualifier points to enter, uh, which are a little bit harder for people to get if they're not, like, grinding Magic Online. Uh, so you got those guys that are just real hardcore, uh, you know, legacy grinders. Uh, and even then, you know, uh, one of the guys I know, uh, Topher Stitson, uh, he had mentioned, I think before that, uh, he had had a hard time getting 40 QPs for the, for a PTQ because of having to play in all the preliminary events and how many get delivered by a league and that sort of thing. But for these events, they were open to either 40 QPs or also you could also enter with 40 tickets. Or you could also open with uh, 400 play points. Uh, so I think that actually opened things up a little bit more and enticed more people to play. Yeah, uh, 40 by, QPs uh, is actually quite a bit. I think you get like three yeah. or four from winning a league, which is a five round, five rounds, and it's not yeah. that easy to go five zero. So you need to to win like ten leagues or spike. I think there are qualifier tournaments. So that is a lot for the average person who isn't grinding full time. But I also know that like we've also had. Like for the challenge events on the weekend, there have been a lot more players playing in the challenge events. Uh, also, uh, like for vintage, especially, uh, they've had uh, challenge events where we've had over a hundred something players for wow. the vintage challenge events, and that's they've been like the biggest challenge events we've had on the format on the platform. So uh, more people are playing and getting out there. Uh, and then you know, once we get back to some semblance of normalcy. Uh, you know, and if, if we, you know, you know, whatever happens, happens, but, uh, you know, in the fall, you know, there's a, uh, 40k, uh, in September, uh, in St. Louis that has a cap of 250 players, uh, and that event sold out within a half hour. Uh, yeah, at, that is at two, at $200 entry. <laughs> Yeah, that that's an event I actually, I mean, we'll see where the world is at, but that's an event that I've been planning on going to and really excited for, which would be super fun. So you hear like, oh, Legacy's dead, Vintage is dead, and while it is true that there is less like high-level tournament support, I think there's like no Magic Fest this year for Legacy, SCG dropping it. When you hear dead, though, that doesn't mean people aren't playing it, as that 40k and the, the growth recently on Magic Online shows, and Magic Online, really, you can play games of Vintage or Legacy whenever you want to. I know that's one of the, maybe the sticking points depending on your location. Like for me, where I live in the boonies in upstate New York, if I had a Vintage deck, I wouldn't be able to do a whole lot with it without driving a couple of hours, even though the East Coast has a, a pretty good vintage scene. But I would have yeah. to drive a couple hours to be able to play because I'm in the middle of nowhere. But Magic Online, you could just fire up a vintage league with whatever cards you want for a way, way cheaper, a fraction of the prices it would be in paper and play as many games as you want. So I think it's a definitely an awesome option for people who want that eternal fix right now, but maybe are, you know, stuck inside, unable to travel to events and, uh, and do that. So I would definitely very much recommend that for people to check out. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I love it. Uh, I try to play on as much as I can <laughs> and uh, try and 
I play around with all sorts of different stuff. So um, I played around with every pretty much everything in the format, both formats at the at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, we're gonna have to answer so a couple of fish mail here on the way out the door. But Joe, is there anything else you want to say about legacy or vintage? And uh, also, make sure to let people know where they can find your articles and uh, your content. Yeah, I'd, I'd say if you're if you're interested and you're on the fence, uh, just give it an open try, an open mind, and just try it. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, either format isn't, uh, and it's not always going to be for everybody. But if you just kind of approach it with like an open mind, I think you'll find that you might like it, uh, and that can be uh, good for you. Uh, and if you don't like it, that's fine. Uh, you know, nobody's pressuring you to do it or anything like that. But uh, you know, if you don't find that you want to play the format, that's great. Uh, but if you find that you enjoy it, then <laughs> even better. So, uh, but you can always find, like I said, uh, uh, Seth mentioned earlier, you can always find my work, uh, this week in legacy, uh, every week, uh, as well as, um, the vintage 101 column that I also write as well. Uh, and, uh, I've been really, really grateful, uh, for the legacy community, especially, uh, for the responses to my articles every week. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, a lot of the people out there that I'm good friends with are, just awesome people and they really love the content seeing the content come out this week so yeah so definitely check those out at mtgoldfish.com they're really good articles uh, great overviews of the meta and different topics so uh, definitely check those out but anyway let's uh, answer a couple of fish mail before we wrap things up for today if you would like your question answered send it in to at mtggoldfish on twitter hashtag it mtgfishmail and we will get to it next week uh, not a ton of questions today uh, if we miss one we'll try to get to it next week but a couple first from w- uh, wojosa uh, at wojosa the price of secret lair fetch lands is clearly based on secondary market do you think the creation of modern which has no reserve list cards in the slow drip of expensive reprints was a long con to be able to sell pricey singles Seth I think that's a, <laughs> I, I, that's too MTG finance for me <laughs> I mean okay yeah, so let, I, I got nothing <laughs> okay so yeah every format is I mean if you think about it literally every format is quote unquote the long con to be able to sell singles that's why formats exist that's why magic exists like that's I don't I don't even think that's like necessarily a a, a bad thing like that that's why the whole game exists so yes in a literal sense modern was created so wizards would be able to sell us magic cards because that's what every decision wizards makes is based on that's not a bad thing though because it gives players something they enjoy a format that is really fun and gives them enjoyment wizards gets money out of the deal so i would say the answer is yes but i think the question kind of framed it in a negative way when i don't think that's I don't think it's a negative. I think that is a, it's a positive. It's a win-win because we get a cool format. Wizards gets to make money and keep making magic cards for us. Everyone wins to some extent. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> I agree with that. Speaking of fetch lands, uh, from Droko Lucian, thoughts on the possibility of commander legends as a non-standard reprint spot for fetches. Would that be a good place seeing that wizards has shifted their focus to EDH as a format? Wait. What was, what was that last part of the question again? Uh, would, would basically would Commander Legends be a good spot to reprint fetch lands since Wizards has shifted their focus to uh, EDH recently? Yes, I, th- I think that that was uh, something I had like 
talked about like right when they announced the fetches right from uh, the secret layers it's that i i think that they they had mentioned they are going to reprint them at some point later this year right so i feel like that's the perfect set that's why not right like it's not in standard so you don't have to worry about it you know messing up that whole like gameplay and play pattern and whatnot and it goes into the format that a lot of people want fetch lanes for so agreed yeah uh, especially if they print anything else that's like legacy format warping <laughs> yeah well there will be probably <laughs> oh i'm sure there will be <laughs> oh man that's every that's every set now that, that is this true. one this one is for uh for you guys uh the the lord of meese uh, says anyone that plays mtg and has seen the new clone wars movie is it just me or does echo look like the dude from ad nauseum I have not seen the new Clone yes. Wars movie, so I'm leaning on both of you. Yes. Wait, we're talking Clone yeah, Wars, the animated the, series? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I haven't I haven't seen any of the animated oh. series. <laughs> I've only seen the movies. Oh. I've only seen the movies. So, so bad. this is this is all you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I can I can definitely see it. Uh Echo Echo's yeah, he's kinda all got all these like tubes in him and <laughs> Stuff like that, yeah. So I can see it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look it up now and see how similar it actually is. The, the uh, season is fantastic. <laughs> where, where is it streaming? Uh, Disney Plus currently. Oh, okay. I will. Uh, they I will are, they are week to week though. Unfortunately, I want them to release the rest of the season yesterday because oh, it's just, no, no it's binging. just so good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, from at Duck Oat. Regarding Wizards giving mystery boosters to local game stores, uh, Wizards Play Network stores, doesn't it feel like they could or should do more? Stores may have thousands in overhead a month just to stay open. A few booster boxes of profit, even at no cost, seems insignificant. Is this just a PR move? So is uh, it was announced earlier this week, maybe, that Wizards was going to give local game stores some free mystery booster boxes that they could sell in this tough time with all the coronavirus stuff. PR move or something that's actually significantly helping local game stores. Oh, I think it. I think it's fine. Like I, I don't know what you would expect them to do more. Like they may be doing more. You know, you don't know. You don't know what we don't know exactly what you know they're gonna do for game stores. Uh, you know, they're not holding up. They're doing all this other stuff like F and M at home and giving stores you know ways to you know connect with their players while they're not in events and whatnot and i don't know like it doesn't seem like that's a bad thing i mean free money is free money is free money like sure is free mystery boosters gonna save a local game store if they have to be closed down for six months probably not but is a thousand dollars or however i don't know how many booster boxes are going to give each store but uh, is just essentially giving stores that amount of cash a bad thing no i i mean i think it's kind of like honestly the the stimulus package that is happening nationwide like sending people twelve hundred dollars or whatever is that gonna (laughs) keep people going for six months if they can't work no is it a bad thing that you're helping people you know pay their bills also no it would be my take on it so right (laughs) yeah like it it definitely Uh, definitely does not like keep the store like it it helps yeah because like if you think about the state like that whole package i think it's like if it's like 1200 that's like not even rent in california (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right one more one more question for this week uh and i i think this is a good one to end on from gregory emin if you could choose one card for you to have your face on it, like an invitational card, but a card that is already <laughs> printed, 
What card would you choose? Call shot, Krim says Lazav. <laughs> so uh, that is that is from Gregory. Uh, added that Krim part in there. So if you could have your face on one existing Magic the Gathering card, what would it be? You know, I I okay. That called shot isn't necessarily missing the mark. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty close. Like it's either Lazav or. I mean, if I have to pick, like, legendary stuff or, or anything like that, it's, it's Lazav or <laughs> Aminatu, actually. I, I, I really like Aminatu. I, like, can you imagine, like, the, they would just, now I'm imagining yeah, that. Yeah, just imagine that. <laughs> That's so it, creepy. Wouldn't it? It'd be great. Really It'd be great. I'd look like the little, the little, uh, the little boy from The Grudge for anyone that watches horror movies. <laughs> and it would be perfect. And I, you know, I had a bowl cut when I was younger, so I already nailed the look. Just, like, slap me on, so, like, Slap me with some, uh, like, I don't know, <laughs> white powder makeup, white and then paint. I will get extra pasty, and then it'll be perfect. Oh, oh God. <laughs> what, what about you, Joe? What what card would you like your face on if you could choose? Can I, can I uh, one-up Krim on the creepy factor and say Cabal Therapy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, not, not, the, not the new art, the old the art. Old the new art, yeah, that, the that new is, art doesn't exist. I mean, I guess it, I'll it, stick with Creepy, too, and go with maybe Uncle Estevan. He's got the yeah. a good Uncle. beard. I I could see my head on on that body. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. no, it's it's pretty on point. On point. That's good. Yeah. Oh man, the old the old cabal therapy for some odd reason just screams like alien to me. So, oh, it's great. Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite art in all of Magic. Like the Judgment so. artwork is pretty sweet. <laughs> I, I I actually I actually own German uh, language uh, original Cabal therapies. Oh, that's, and that's they are, beautiful. They're ama- they're amazing. I love them to death. <laughs> the only other one I could have possibly say at that point would be Veteran Explorer because that's my that's kind of on brand for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, that would also be good too. <laughs> so I think I think it'd be funny if like they ironically just like as a joke put me on like the like a veil of summer reprint. <laughs> <laughs> Carnage time, Carnage time. Yes, perfect. <laughs> so oh, me. With, the gl- with the glowing red eyes. <laughs> so me. <laughs> On that note, I think that brings us to the end of our fish mail. So again, if you want your question answered next week, send them in at MTG Goldfish on Twitter, hashtag them MTG Fish Mail. And I also think that brings us to the end of episode 270 of the Goldfish cast. So, uh, Joe, thanks so much for joining us this week, talking about Legacy and Vintage. Hopefully get a chance to do it again at some point in the future. I hope so, too. That would be great. And Krim, of course, thank you for joining us as well. <laughs> thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Carl. Hard conduit for supporting the show. So on that note, uh, we're done for this week. We'll be back next week to talk about whatever goes on in the world of magic, which we know will at least include some number of Ikoria spoilers, which start on Thursday. So have a wonderful week, everyone. We'll be back next Monday. Until then, this is the crew signing out. Yeah.